Hello, and welcome to IRI Growth Insights C-Suite Conversations. I'm your host, John McIndoe, Chief Marketing Officer at IRI. IRI integrates big data, predictive analytics, and forward-looking insights to help companies in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets grow their businesses. We also share our thought leadership with the industry at large with the goal of addressing and tackling key challenges within our industry. Our special C-Suite Conversations series features notable leaders talking about the future of CPG and retail. In this episode, we'll be talking about Church and Dwight's transformational journey and the lasting impact the pandemic has had on innovation and social reach, as well as its strategies for continued growth. Church and Dwight is a leader in household and personal care products with such venerable brands as Arm & Hammer, the original power brand that goes back 175 years, Trojan, First Response, Nair, Spinbrush, OxyClean, Origel, Zycom, and many more. Since its inception, Church and Dwight has been a friend of the environment, exercising sustainable business practices before it became a focal point of the business community. Church and Dwight proudly sponsored the first Earth Day and was the first company to remove phosphates from laundry detergent. It is currently working to be carbon neutral by 2025, a lofty goal. Our special guest today is Paul Wood, Chief Customer Officer of Church & Dwight. Paul joined Church & Dwight in 2018 to lead the company's sales efforts. Prior to Church & Dwight, Paul was Executive Vice President of Acosta, overseeing a cross-functional team spanning multiple consumer packaged goods categories. In addition to other CPG leadership experience, Paul also worked at Samsung Electronics as Vice President of Sales and then General Manager of the company's AT&T business unit. Leading today's conversation are IRI's KK DeVay, President of Strategic Analytics, and Russ Dunham, Executive Vice President of our Strategic Solutions Group. Russ and KK, over to you. Thanks, John and Paul, welcome. It's always great to see you. Uh, let's let the listeners get to know you just a little bit. First things, how are you? You're starting with the hardest question, right? The personal ones. So uh, I, I'm doing really good. I'm healthy, family's good. I will tell you, I've never learned as much about uh, the industry, retail, our own company and uh, that I have in the past year and a half, like most others. But uh, uh, you know, it's good to be, we're, we're starting to come back to the office and, and trying to adapt to the, the latest uh, new normal. And um, listen, right, right now we're in a good place and I think we're all trying to figure out what the next wave looks like together, but all in all, I can't complain. Healthy and happy and a good business and a great company to work for. It makes it uh, really nice. That's a really great combination. And now the summer's about to end and I'm just wondering what highlights for you or your family this summer? Yeah, we're, we're RVers, so we took an RV trip in the summer. Apparently, a lot of other people had that same idea, so it was a little hard finding uh, some places. And then uh, you know, there's nothing like a, a Harley ride on the weekends. It doesn't help relax and, uh, and, and kind of smooth out the week. So uh, th those, those keep me pretty, uh, pretty grounded. That's terrific. And, and lastly, you mentioned back to the office. What does it feel like going back to the office? Yeah, we, we came back and staggered, you know, and, and really a, a, a voluntary uh, return. And, and it, we, we jokingly said it was kind of like the first day of high school after the long summer break and everyone's coming back. And 
uh, you know, for the past year and a half, everybody's been 15 inches tall or four inches tall on a screen. And so to see them in a 4D uh, has really been fun and getting to see where everybody uh, is and what's going on in their lives. And, um, and we're trying to figure out how to adapt in this hybrid environment, and particularly in sales. You know, we've, we've been in this adaptive hybrid environment our whole career as we've all traveled and done everything. So, you know, our journey down this path is a little less uh, than some of the other functions, as you can imagine. So, but great to see everyone live and, and larger than 15 inches for a change. Yeah, I can only imagine. Well, okay, KK, over to you. Thank you. And uh, welcome, Paul. Um, before we jump in, could you kind of just highlight some of your big brands in both personal and household care, just for the benefit of our viewers? Sure, sure, sure. At Church and Dwight, uh, you know, what people don't may not be aware of that we're about split down the middle between household and personal care. And, you know, our, our probably most legacy or, or flagship business and brand is the Arm & Hammer brand. And that while it started in baking soda, it actually cascades across uh, laundry detergent and cat litter. Um, you also see the logo across a lot of things in any given store as it's licensed. Um, you know, we also play pretty broadly across the store. The other big brands would be Vitamins and Vitafusion. Uh, we sell dry shampoo, mentioned Trojan in terms of condoms. We, we recently bought Zycam, which is in cold and flu, uh, Origel. Um, we're, we're a pretty diverse company. And, and as we get to talk today, we'll explain how we operate and all these brands we've acquired over the past 20 plus years. But Really, we're probably known as our legacy as the uh, the yellow box with the baking soda, but it's much more than that as we've approached uh, you know five billion dollar business between, like you said, household and personal care. Wow, that's that's quite a big of a portfolio. As you know, all of us are looking uh, to life beyond the pandemic, and uh, I would before we kind of talk about uh, the future, uh, we would love to kind of understand a little bit about you know given your portfolio. What do you consider are some of the lasting impacts of COVID on your business? Yeah, I, I, we could probably do a whole episode on, on that uh, question. I think we've learned a lot. It's interesting, but the brands that we play, and I just hit a sampling of it, but we had a unique position when, when COVID even hit. We saw it happen on some of our brands, and then we saw it not happen on others. And so as we've gone through this journey it's been it's been a little easier for us because of the diverse you know portfolio we have. We can start to see some of the stickiness and, and what is more cyclical based on how things are opening and coming back to work, and then what seems to stick. And so if you think around vitamins and health, you know some of those trends are becoming a little more obvious. Certainly e-commerce and and how that's uh, happening and where it's sticking and you know what a subscription model might do on your some of your businesses versus maybe what were impulse businesses before. We're starting to see some of those evolve. So. Uh, certainly by brand, it varies, but we're starting to get a good rhythm and cadence to understand it. I would also say, you know, we've learned a lot on our about ourselves on operations, uh, on forecasting, on, on trying to understand retailers. I think the partnerships with the retailers has really been fruitful. Uh, we're all in this together, and I think it's been a nice partnership as, as you know, in the beginning, it was more of a, a panic around the pandemic, and now it is truly a partnership to understand what is possible. Um, and I do feel that collaboration with, with these retailers partners has been outstanding as we all, all work to ultimately get more product on the shelf is what we're all trying to accomplish uh, together. Has the pandemic affected uh, any of your strategic directions that the company is taking in any particular right turn, left turn, some tweaks? Yeah, I would think we, we were pretty far ahead or we felt we were on e-commerce and, and where things were going, certainly with our international business. And we kept a very keen eye on you know, trends in China and UK. 
And I think we we knew things were coming. I think obviously the pandemic, uh, you know, exasperated some of those in the speed in which they came. So I think we were ready. I think that is just a fast forward of some things. Um, I, I think the partnership with retailers might be the, the, the new learning on just how to understand, uh, you know, where we're fragile. Each of us are fragile in some of the supply chain and maybe how we can plan differently and work collaboratively there. I would say nothing disruptive in a bad way, more disruptive in good ways that, that really tighten the, the relationship and, and understanding the inner workings of the business rather than just, uh, you know, sometimes it's just off the shelf aspects of it. I think we're learning the full path to purchase. Uh, listen, how consumers are shopping and getting their information and, and the platforms, you know, they're using are different today than they were 16 months ago when this started. And I think we're all reading the same headlines. So I think we're all adapting and learning really, really, really fast. Paul, you and I have talked many times about your sales team and you know your 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 reputation, your company reputation. You got a small, relatively smaller team, but but strong, and you've got a large portfolio. You just mentioned it. Tell us a little bit about the challenges and how you're viewing your sales team in today's environment. Yeah, no, listen. One of the cultural aspects that makes Church and Dwight who we are is, is we are asset light, and, and we are lighter than than maybe uh, other companies would on a dollars per headcount and everything. But that actually, I, I believe, having been here now, is a competitive strength because it, it does allow us to focus and it does allow greater ownership and accountability. At, at the same time, we can't do everything ourselves. And so our, our partners, in this case, Advantage, you know, it's critical that we have an allyship with them, that they're not, um, you know, they're not just somebody we hire to help us. We treat them uh, as allies. And I think that's really important as you are lean. I think the spirit of the diversity of, of how many brands we have in the breadth, it really forces you to focus. Um, and yeah, you're multitasking in some ways. You've really got to be deep. When you're focused, you've got to be on and go deep uh, before you go to the next topic. But uh, you know, I'd be uh, remiss if I didn't compliment our sales team is outstanding. I'd put them up against anyone. You know, I think any sales leader is going to say that. And those, those are fighting words amongst us, but I, I really stand behind that. I think we have an incredible team and I do like our leanness because we are scrappy and, and we use data, you know, and certainly the, the obvious relationship with you and, and uh, some other sources that we get. We really rely on data to drive the insights that lead us to actions. And so when you are lean, you have to trust the data. And I think that plays as another speaking of ally partnership uh, with you in particular, Russ. And, you, and you, you know, you're obviously proud of your team. How do you motivate your team? What, what you, what's your, your, your single focus area? Yeah, I think for me personally, it's listening to them and then unlearning. I think the speed at which we're changing is just as important to unlearn some of the ways that it's easy to fall back on what I did 10 years ago, five years ago, et cetera. But the things are changing so fast and it's really listening. And I think that that culminates two ways, but um, we really have to be adaptive. And then the other thing I try to bring is, is overcoming the fear of failure of trying something new. And, and I think right now, in some ways, the pandemic has kind of given us this freedom to look at it differently and to really ask ourselves, why, why are we doing it or why have we done it that way? Uh, and really allow some of our folks to test and learn. And, and I think those are the fun parts. And uh, we move quickly when they don't work and then we share them broadly when they do. And I think that's probably you know, encouraging that is probably the, the best thing that I can do. But it starts with listening. You know, Paul, we noticed that acquisition is one of your key strategies, particularly with code analogy relief. Uh, you added uh, some brands to your portfolio. Uh, what is it that, you know, and could you talk a little bit about some of your recent uh, acquisitions and what what is the team, right? What drives your acquisition teams? 
Yeah, it's really, you know, as you, as you understand Church and Dwight, if you look back at our history, it was really around the, the turn of the early 2000s. And, and since then, we've continued to buy almost every year to a degree, one or two years without. We've made sizable acquisitions of some really big businesses. And, and the one you're referring to most recently was Zycam, which we bought mm-hmm. essentially in the middle of, of what was happening with COVID. And because we've done so many acquisitions and we can integrate them so well, it, you know, to say it was seamless, um, it was fairly seamless because we, we've we've gotten so good at focusing on them and the handoffs are happening. And yet these are acquisitions that are outside of our area. We didn't play in cold, cough, cold and flu to the degree that this is. And so it forces you again back to data. You've got to, you know, as we're making these acquisitions and as we're doing due diligence, we really force ourselves to learn and become students of that category because we're sometimes walking into it in the case of Zycam without that prior knowledge. In some ways, we don't have the the prejudice or the bias is walking in there. So maybe we we don't have to unlearn as much, but we, we're soaking it in a lot more. And so I think we come into it eyes wide open and that allows us. I think that's one of the secret sauces. I really do. Um, we, we don't we don't have an approach of I got this because a lot of times we're walking into areas we've not played before. How do you then maintain the focus on the existing portfolio versus the, versus the acquisitions if you're acquiring, you know, one a year or two a year? Yeah, it's a great question. I think the the you know, that's the partnership with our marketing partners uh, and, and understanding the brand strategies, at least the channel strategies and how we show up. And, and then also leveraging, to your point, you know, not getting distracted with a bigger business or, or maybe something that's more profitable, but giving every business its equal deserve. Um, and I think the other thing for sales, you know, as leaders, as the world's changing, you know, coming in with, with uh, other folks, maybe it's R&D, uh, maybe it's some marketers to come with you. And I think it's a team approach, I think, is the way we can do that. Uh, it's it's near impossible for one salesperson to know everything about all the, you know, the 14 different buyers we might interact with in a store. So I think it's that collaboration and that cooperation amongst your, your cross-functional partners, I, I think, I believe, is a secret sauce at Church and Dwight. That, and because we're lead, you do it really well. And you get to know people in that process, too. We've talked about uh, acquisition. Let's talk a little bit more about the arm and hammer approach to innovation, because we know that, you know, and how that plays across the rest of your portfolio. We know in 1846, arm and hammer pretty much formed Church and Dwight. That was that was the creation of Church and Dwight. And now you see that you see that that orange logo on uh, deodorant, pet supplies, laundry detergent, etc. Tell us about the uh, innovative approach and how you're thinking about it going forward. Yeah, we have an incredible R&D arm um, that, that my counterpart Carlos runs. It just does a great job of really looking ahead of how is the shopper shopping and where are they shopping and some of the dynamics. And they're trying to stay multi-years ahead. And even as we went into the pandemic, you know, we didn't back off uh, of our innovation and where things are going. In fact, there's some things that were ideas you know, maybe on a whiteboard somewhere that we brought the light. And most recently, you know, a sanitizer for the laundry uh, aisle, we, we just launched that. And that that didn't exist pre-pandemic. We also did some other products with Flawless. Um, so innovation for us is a key lifeblood. And I, and I don't think, if anything, maybe, um, you know, the environment, the marketing aspect of it had to be throttled down a little bit. But in terms of the product, the package and the offering itself, I think uh, my counterpart in R&D would say it's just as fast as ever. Um, well, that's that's good to hear. So it doesn't sound like you lost a lot of momentum over the uh, over the during the pandemic and sounds like moving forward, same same approach. 
same, same approach, the consumer, right? The needs of the consumer, if anything, are starting to bifurcate a little bit because there's more platforms where they can see your product and how you show up. And, uh, and certainly, you know, on the marketing front, you know, the materials that you needed you know, pre-pandemic versus post-pandemic have you know, escalated as well with different platforms and ways to get our products and innovation. So maybe how you talk to the consumer uh, is starting still changing and flowing as retailers are, are definitely engaging differently. But the the, the core of uh, innovation is definitely, uh, I, like I said, I, I think my R&D brother would be remiss if they didn't say it's uh, the pedals down. And that's who Church and Dwight is. We're, we're not going to let up on that. Love it. Paul, you talked a little bit about how uh, the pandemic accelerated your e-commerce uh, strategy. Um, I think you do, what, r- roughly 10, 12% of your sales in e-com, maybe, maybe more. Could you talk a little bit more about, um, you know, how you have kind of accelerated e-com and, you know, it's, it's, it's on everybody's mind. And then I'll have a couple of other follow-up questions on the e-com stuff. Yeah, and listen, it, the e-commerce conversation for us starts at the top. Matt, our CEO, has been very adamant on what he sees changing as he manages the company and sees trends internationally in China, like I said, in, in Europe and other places. And during the pandemic, we leveraged that time to listen to experts from around the world. Uh, and even at prior sales meetings before COVID, we were bringing in folks that that saw the world differently. And so we were kind of planting the seeds and fertilizing and cultivating, I would say, over COVID it became obvious that as fast as we were moving, we had to turn that dial up. If there's a way to get past 10, we're past 10. And, and so we're, we're absolutely committed. Um, part of that is getting the right data, understanding the retailer, understanding these platforms. Everything's coming so fast and quick. And at the same time, partnering with the retailers and everybody's in a different journey. I think some of the retailers, we, we all know maybe we're ready for it or further ahead and others are catching up. And, you know, for Church and Dwight, we have to, we have to you know, play to everybody's strengths. And I think um, on that front, you know, Matt, Matt is, I think he said as much as 13% of our sales come and, I, and I'll stop there, but uh, we believe in e-commerce and that is a stickiness that is going to stay in place. And I think as we read other things, six months and six years from now, I think we'll be prepared um, given Matt's leadership. And, and, and you think consumers, you know, you mentioned also subscription models. Are you pushing heavily on subscription models yourselves or with retailers or, or both or? Yeah, I would not say that that's an area where we're really pushing to be more uh, direct to consumer directly. We certainly do that. I think, you know, without giving away secrets, so to speak, I think the sure. learning from that is what can we learn from the shopper and you know, what do they value and what is yeah. important to them? And, and that's just another vehicle to get that direct feedback and interaction, uh, you know, whether it's engaging on reviews, ratings and reviews directly with people giving ratings reviews or getting it through a D2C relationship. You know, the real the real spirit of that is you're garnering insights that otherwise you couldn't have gotten. So where it makes sense, yes, D2C makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, our retail partners are doing a great job talking to, to their shoppers and their customers. And I think we'll continue to, to go down that path, but certainly use all these new tools and vehicles to learn more about how people and what people want, how they're shopping uh, and how we can meet their needs. In the, in the past couple of months, do you still see the same level of e-commerce engagement uh, that you had before? Uh, I think know, it'll the mask be, mandate coming off. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, it'll be it'll be more, but it'll be different. So it's not so much a volumetric. You know, yeah, we certainly expect like everybody does it to soften a little bit of the percents. But in some of our businesses, it will actually we've seen it pick up. It was picking up pre-COVID, and we don't suspect any reason why. 
uh, it'll slow. I mean, us as, as shoppers ourselves, it sure is nice to to lay in bed and, and sit at the office or wherever you are and plug in something and then on your way home, pick it up. I think that convenience is really interesting. You know, they say a habit forms after what are the 66 days. We've all had more than 66 days to form some habits and they're pretty addictive because of the convenience and the speed. And now, um, you know, it's a stop on the way home as opposed to a diversion on the way home. So mm-hmm. uh, I know it certainly changed uh, my family's life and, and most of the folks here. So we do believe it'll stick. And then some of our businesses are just going to continue to explode and others will be a little slower. Uh, we have impulse items that, that we don't expect to ever convert to the full extent. Um, but we have some that are absolutely off to the races. Interesting. And and how do your products show up differently at retail today, uh, uh, Paul? Uh, you know, how, how are your retail relationships uh, and how do you kind of, you know, go to market uh, differently? Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. As you dig into our portfolio, you take something like cat litter, um, which is heavy in a big box. And yet that shows up very differently on a Chewy or an Amazon subscribe and save. Well, it might be the same product. There's some dynamics of how it shows up differently than what you might buy in a big box store, a Walmart or a Target or a club environment. So, you know, we're definitely showing up differently there. I would say in a lot of our personal care businesses, you know, how you show up in a, in a drug account or in a beauty account like an Ulta, uh, be it the display or the point of sale material or the marketing materials. I'd say content is probably an undercurrent of, of how you show up differently. We know the value of how you show up and whether someone's doing click and collect or researching your product, that absolutely has been a, a, a quick change. And um, I'd say our content is better than it's ever been. And that was a concerted effort during, during the pandemic to, to really get ahead of that trend. So that's one way we're showing up. And then how you show up on shelf and what your packaging says and how important that facade is on that package to really be your silent salesperson in many ways in a very fast-paced environment is really important as well. The one one thing that you had mentioned in our uh, conversation earlier, uh, before this recording, about phantom inventory. Can you talk a little bit about what's going on at retail, or just you know, be able to you know build distribution as quickly as you were before pandemic, or is everything showing up on shelf, uh, supply chain constraints? You know, if you could just give us some insights, that'll be very helpful. Yeah, you know, th- this is more where just the speed of what was happening, you know, when you understand back in March and April, it seems like a decade ago, um, but it was really as fast as you could get product off of a truck onto the shelf and was out the door. And, and through that process, whether it was human error or just speed of people working, you know, as we've gone out and, and looked in the marketplace, we believe that the phantom inventory or the inventory levels may not be adjusted uh, correctly to recover in the same order. So we're definitely putting a concerted effort in uh, just as a generic commercial, I, I say if you bought 20 uh, jars of yogurt and all were a different flavor, you know, and, and given how much self-checkout, for example, is happening, uh, do you and I personally, KK, you know, scan every single flavor or do we just take that first yeah. one, which happens to be strawberry and multiply it by 20? Correct. And, yeah. You know, yeah, before you know it, all of a sudden your your, your inventory is off. And so, um, you know, we're looking at things like that. And that's understanding how the retail world is working that, that maybe got exacerbated. It's always been there, but that might be a trend that we're seeing that says, what are we going to do to test it, validate it? And then most importantly, what's the now what? What are we going to do to fix it? And so, yeah, that's exactly right. We're looking at that through a different lens. And that helps the retailers along with that as well. Paul, you, you mentioned a little bit about direct-to-consumer. 
How, what's the thinking these days and what, what kind of things are you talking about relative to direct-to-consumer? Yeah, again, it starts with the purpose of what we're trying to accomplish with direct-to-consumer. So in the case of, you know, I'll use Flawless as a best-in-class example, as, as we got to know them through the acquisition a few years ago, um, they were reaching into consumers through ratings and reviews and they were forming these relationships. And before you knew it, the relationships were so strong in the ratings and reviews, it became almost a focus group. And I use that example because that's a great way. To, it's a little harder to do, but they, they found a great way to get that engagement. On other brands, it's easier to do a direct to consumer where you offer something different. Maybe it's a limited time. Maybe it's a special pack. But ultimately, what you're trying to do isn't so much for the sales side as much as it's for the relationship and the learning. So two different examples. And I think our brands, you know, from Waterpick and the professional side of the business, they can do something different than maybe Vita, vitamins would do and very different than laundry detergent. You know, I think naturally, in some ways, we don't foresee a, a D2C laundry environment. Uh, per se, but certainly vitamins or where there's personalization probably lend itself. And so I think we'll be agile and flexible, but it's really to understand the consumer and the shopper. And, and how do you, um, you know, how do you leverage data and insights to guide uh, your sales and also, you know, in general, CND's uh, business decisions? Yeah, the data is really important uh, for us. And, and I know everybody says that, but we really believe it in our DNA. And again, it starts at the top. And I think this is a competitive advantage where Church and Dwight, under Matt's leadership a few years ago, really got ahead of it and made a concerted effort in, in the center of excellence and really focusing on, on data. And so now, as, as the pandemic has shown and some of the trends, we, we have to rely on the data. It's coming in so fast and it's coming in from so many different sources. I think you know, it, it's I have a, a quirk or a saying that's you know the what, the so what, and the now what. And I think the data represents there's a lot of what. There's more what coming in than ever before. And then you have to emerge to the next level, which is so what does it all mean? So what do we do? But ultimately, it's the now what. And, and are we executing on it? And the real question we ask ourselves is based on what the data and the insights are saying, are we holding ourselves to execute on what they're saying? And I think that's a relationship and a conversation with the retailers as well as we are seeing more data, more granular data, more personalized data. When we get that, what can we do with it? And I think that's where we are in our journey. We've got the data. Now, how do we turn it into actionable insights and actually execute on them? And I think we're not afraid to kind of leverage and trust the data. I think we're, we're down the path on that as a company. And that's a broader than just a sales statement as well. And, and do you leverage a lot of analytics to kind of get make sense out of that data to drive your decisions or... Or is it, you know, starting with what decisions we want to take and what data do we need? Is it like decision back? Is it analytics back? Is it data forward? You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll try and simplify. You have a great question and I'll not do it justice, but I'll simplify it. You know, we're really trying to start with the question of what we're trying to get to and then turn to the people that are experts <laughs> at data. So the difference of asking me a question and, and I will find the data that answers it the way I want to answer it. If you ask me a question and hand it to a data scientist, you're going to get what you really wanted, which is the unfiltered. And here's what the data says. And oh, by the way, here's three or four, you know, you know parallel data paths that lead them down to this conclusion. So we've trusted back to the ally comment from earlier. You know, we are relying on other companies to help us synthesize the data, to help us look at the way a data scientist, not somebody who's grown up in the industry, but truly taking two or three sources of data, putting them together and really finding the key nuggets and insights. And 
and we're not afraid to find those partners and we have some great ones helping us now. So that that's a tangible difference of how we're treating it because it is hard to, to digest all that data within our current skill set on top of the workload we already have, hence yeah. why we have trusted partners and allies. Any examples of anything unique that you're doing in the market you know, with data and insights that your retailers or your partners would say, hey, Church and Dwight is uh, cutting edge there? Um, I don't want to, it comes across as bragging, but I think I'll put it in That's context. Uh, as I came in the door uh, a few years ago, I was impressed with how we were using the data and how we've since evolved it even further into forecasting and really trusting the data and, and having multiple algorithms working in our favor that, and then starting to challenge maybe some traditional ways of thinking or seeing the business or assumptions and really looking at it through a different lens. So everybody's done a post-promo analysis and sales, but we have a very different way that a data scientist would look at post-promo because their scope and their depth of work or insights are going to come from a different angle. So I think um, it's just that evolution of 101 to 202. I, I'm really impressed with uh, what, what I inherited a few years ago and then the direction we're going. And I, again, there's people out there that are in other industries that we're relying on that are showing us maybe how a banking industry or a finance industry or a completely unrelated industry is using data. Uh, that's the lens we're looking at versus just within the CPG landscape. We are really looking broader because it's really about the data. It's not about the industry. So I would say that uh, without saying too much, saying how- Yeah, yeah I know. That's helpful. That's helpful. You, one final question around data. Do you, do you think we will be able to deliver an endless aisle via e-commerce? I know it's a promise, but you know, from a practical perspective as a sales leader, do you think we'll be in a position to do that a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, or are we doing it already? Yeah, I, th I think the challenge with the endless aisle, and I think our retail partners, I speak on their behalf as they talk to us, is it's a, the e-commerce um, pendulum is swinging so far so fast and it has some components that it's just not as profitable. And so while everyone's intention is to go to an endless aisle and it makes a lot of sense, in some ways you can think of it, the retailers now are having to do the work that the consumers, you and I, KK, used to have yeah. to do, election and picking and packing and putting it in a cart and taking it, they're having to do that work. And that's labor. And we certainly know in today's time and even in the projected future time, that's an added cost. Uh, dual inventories, uh, you know, the, the carrying costs of having those inventories. So I think the challenge is how do you have an endless hour experience of the right SKUs mm -hmm. and those SKUs? And when you don't have them, what does transfer? And I think back to your data and other data sources, understanding that transferability, you don't need all 10 SKUs, maybe six SKUs or six variants of that are enough to capture, you know, the 80, 90%. And I think that's where the data has to come in. And I think that's the partnership with the retailers we're all working towards. Paul, let's talk a little bit about social purpose. It's a, a really important topic today. And we know Church and Dwight's long been a friend of the environment. You were the first major company to support Earth Day. You were the first company to take phosphates out of, your, out of detergent. Tell us what you're working, tell us what your firms look, what you're working on today. Yeah, you know, it was interesting. I should have known that, that trivia question before I joined Church and Dwight, but they were the first corporate sponsor in 1970. And, uh, you know, as I was interviewing with them, that really jumped out at me and it just showed their commitment because uh, we've not lost that commitment. Right? It's one thing to say you were the first, but the real question is, have you stayed with it? The answer is yes. And I think from that, we've just continued to, to build on that legacy and heritage. I think as that's evolved through some of the social commitments, obviously the, the sustainability pieces, 
that, that KK or John had mentioned earlier. You know, I think all companies are doing that, but it's really the culture and what are you doing uh, maybe when it's not as public and behind the scenes. And certainly with where uh, things, you know, in the past year and a half have highlighted, you know, that's another aspect that we've gotten behind quickly. And it's really the, it, it's built into our DNA and the culture and the, and how we're working. So the social aspects blend into the sustainability. It is about inclusion uh, and involvement. And, and that's just the nature. And, and as we mentioned a few times, we're, we're a very lean organization. So you, you have to be inclusive to get the best work and to partner and collaborate. So, um, you know, that that's going to be a, a mantra that's, you know, it, it's the bloodline, the DNA, it, it's in our systems. And there's certainly things we can do uh, better and learn from others. Uh, and I certainly on the sales front, we're leading uh, from the front on that too. And at our sales meeting that we just had virtually, which was, you know, a new, new for all of us, the very first topic we had is we brought outside speakers, uh, a great company, uh, by the way, Hollaback, that did an outstanding job, but that was by design the first session that we had because that we wanted that to set the tone for the entire week of events. And so those are easy ways that you can set the tone. And that was an incredible training. And I, I do think that, you know, anyone who um, you know is watching this, it's done other things. I, I'm I'm learning just like we all are together on this. And I think this is where the industry, we can all share ideas and what works well. And um, and I, I'm certainly open to learn or uh, experiment or do anything if anyone has ideas. And so that's why I mentioned Hollaback is just one. But uh, you hit a you hit a passion point, as you can probably tell in my voice in the, in the topic. But um, really excited. And, and again, starts at the top with leadership. And, and uh, you know, this is where Matt, our CEO, deserves a lot of credit. And, um, you know, we're all trying to, to live up to the expectations he's set and given us the guiding for it. You're very humble. Paul, um, you've had a tremendously successful sales uh, a career in, in sales and CPG. Uh, what advice would you have for aspiring you know, young folks who are joining the industry today and want to kind of become a Paul Wood, say, 20 years from now or 25 years from now? What, what would you say are the key traits? How should they kind of manage their, their experiences and career to kind of you know, become a chief customer officer in a, in a leading CPG company? Yeah, really, Kike, you hit on a personal note for me because I, I spend a lot of time and um, working with college students and, I, and interns and everything. So I feel like a lot of people have helped me and gave me good counsel and advice. And so, um, you know, a couple of things I would share with you that I've shared with them is, you know, I think earlier in my career and, and, and as we're all younger, we focus too much on the here and now and we, we're not or we're, we're worried about the next job. And I think at some point I had some good mentors that, that said, you're, you know, the role you're in now might be the only time in your life you're going to be in that role. So this is your chance to build your, your information and your Rolodex of knowledge. And, and I can't tell you how true that is that over my career, I've done jobs that weren't linear and, uh, you know, moving into operations or into a marketing role or sales role. I think the more diversity of experiences, the more diversity around the, the state of the business uh, the better you are longer term when, when when you're accidentally leading a lot of folks that come from very diverse backgrounds and with diverse you know, challenges. And so I think that's been great advice. And I had a trust in mentors along the way. So I definitely pass that along. I would say the difference, though, today versus when I was growing up in the industry and it was more traditional. You did this type of account and then you went here. Yeah, you did a lot of rotations. I think the rotations today are very different. You know, data, we talked a lot today about data. And I do believe that I, to be successful in the next 10 years, I think there are rules that are required within sales that aren't currently on my team. I think I'm going to have folks touching data in ways beyond just data scientists that we generalize today. And I think that's a skill set that 
is going to have to evolve 10x, 100x from where we are. And so that's a new learning. Um, and I think the folks that support us on that way, we're going to have younger folks, newer in the industry, teaching us how to do that because that's not an inherent skill. So I think that adaptability comes in in a very different way. Um, so I, diversity of thought, diversity of experience is absolutely the, the, the quest for data. And I think the curiosity. Um, I recently had a fireside chat with my team and I'll share a quote that, that, I, that I absolutely love, but it's I'll try to do it justice. It's something I think Albert, Albert Einstein had said that if he had an hour to live and a problem to solve, he'd spend 55 minutes asking the right question, you know, and, and I think that was a great reminder. And I shared that you know, just recently because I think we're ready, fire, aim in sales. And that's kind of been our traditional. And I think with all the data, you know, be it IRI and other sources, you really have to stop and pause. What is the question I'm asking? And I think that is a skill set that we're not taught in college. You're not really taught your career. And I think that is going to separate the, the future leaders that I'm going to work for uh, down the road. The ability to stop and listen and really define the question and then rally the troops to solve it, the right answers. So I could go on and on on that, but those are the big highlights. But um, yeah, I think my sales force, if you looked at my roles today and listed them on one page and compared them in 10 years, I think there's titles and structures that don't exist yet that we're going to have to be agile, flexible and move into. And the successful sales folks of tomorrow have to understand um, that it's about the being a general manager mindset and solving you know, the broader. And that's certainly how our retailers, look at our retailer structures yeah. and how they together. They are certain, I give them a lot of credit in some ways, almost ahead of CPG in terms of their structure and their thinking and combining omni-channel and how they're leveraging data. So I think there's a lot to learn and I'm watching and observing the retailers right now um, on how fast they're moving. I love your part about the young person. I had a chance to have a, to meet Mark Cuban at an event and I asked him, I said, what would be the one thing you would do as a leader? He said, I'd hire a millennial and let them tell you what you should be working on. Well said. That was fantastic. Thank you, Paul, Kate, and Russ. It's really fascinating to learn about the approach, uh, many of the approaches that you're taking across personal and home care, you know, and how those have really dramatically impacted your business as well as consumers throughout the pandemic and really how Church and Dwight continues to build its powerhouse brands as well as new brands to meet the changing needs of consumers. I thought I'd recap some of the key themes that I heard today. There was a tremendous amount of information and perspective shared that I know our listeners will, will really appreciate. You kicked things off with how the pandemic has really shaped your business and what were some new things that you learned and some things that were kind of always core to your business that you really embraced and, and held on to but extended. You talked about new learnings around consumers and the application of data to really understand them, not only from a consumer insights perspective, but also operations, supply chain, and also retail collaboration. Obviously, the pandemic fast-forwarded many of those, but a lot of your core strategies, such as e-commerce and the importance of using deep consumer insights and analytics, enabled you to adapt faster. You, you commented on the fact that it was disruptive really kind of in a good way. Um, examples like turning partners such as IRI and brokers into really true allies and deepening your efforts to collaborate with them in new and different and creative ways. You also talked about the importance of learning and, and listening and in many respects, unlearning old ways of doing business so that you could be adaptive and overcome traditional fears of failure. 
Um, certainly the pandemic has unleashed new thinking to test and learn. We talked about failing fast, learning from those, those failures, and then adjusting rapidly and moving on and how that's really kind of unleashed new thinking. You talked about the power of your M&A strategy and your prowess for doing that well. You, know, you talked about the Zycam purchase in the midst of the pandemic when most folks were kind of scrambling to figure out, figure out how to get um, you know, product on the shelf at the right time in the right place. You are also um, in investing in acquiring a a di you know, different companies um, and really how that was a seamless experience given your previous expertise in doing M&A well, which is certainly a core competency of Church and Dwight's. Um, you talked about the traditional kind of arm and hammer approach to innovation, certainly a hallmark at, at Church and Dwight, and how that really starts fundamentally at, at its at chorus element of a deep understanding of consumers, how they're shopping, how they're using your products, and leveraging those learnings to pivot and add value along the way. You talked about the example of adding um, sanitizing elements to your laundry detergent. Certainly, probably something that wouldn't have come come out uh, unless we had experienced the pandemic. Paul, you also talked about e-commerce. It's certainly been core to your strategy and has been led from the top down, your CEO, Matt. But during the pandemic, you sought to tap the best experts, both inside and outside of Church and Dwight, to understand emerging e-commerce trends and then putting those new strategies in place quickly to meet consumers' needs. Certainly not a trend that you guys expect to see fading anytime soon. You talked about the importance of retail relationships, being agile enough to show up differently depending on channel or retailer, and then tailoring those strategies, whether that be content and marketing programs or modifying your execution, whether that's in-store or on the digital shelf to meet um, what's happening in the market and how consumers are shopping very differently. You talked about direct-to-consumer and how that really starts with the purpose of what we're trying to do for that consumer, really understanding their needs at very fundamental and granular ways across your entire portfolio of offerings, and then tailoring program to meet those needs in agile and flexible ways. You talked about the importance of leveraging data, insights, and analytics. Certainly data is critical. It's part of your DNA as, as demonstrated by Matt's focus on this as well as yours. But as data access and the variety of data assets has increased, you got ahead of this and created this as what you called a core center of excellence. Clearly data is the foundation of all your decision-making to delight your customers. Relying on partners to help maximize the efficiency and the effectiveness of data and analytics and then constantly evolving this aspect of your business to remain at the cutting edge. You talked about social purpose. It's certainly been core to the culture and the heart of, of Church and Dwight. Doing good is doing good for business. Um, and you've often took many progressive steps before many of your other competitors or other players within the industry. A strategy that has clearly served you well, served the company and its employees well, and notably the communities that you serve. You closed off by talking about the advice you give young people, and you shared a personal reflection that what worked when you were starting up isn't necessarily the same as today. The number one trait for younger people that is different today is how integral data knowledge is for any role in the industry, 
that is clearly a way, the wave of the future. And so really embracing, um, embracing data and technology and taking what you're working on now and using it to build your knowledge base, you'll really be surprised at how handy that will become down the road. A fascinating conversation. Paul, KK, Russ, we appreciate you taking the time. For our listeners and viewers, this recorded conversation will be available on our website at iriworldwide.com. We hope that you'll take the opportunity to review our other thought leadership, including valuable reports, and of course, our dashboard of economic indicators. With that, thanks so much for joining us today and have a wonderful day.